Today is Palm Sunday, and we know the traditional story of Palm Sunday, but you know what comes after it. Listen to these words found in Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shout, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught my children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Perhaps you've been to a parade before, maybe you've been in them. I know when our children were particular in band, we were part of that. There's the, the staging area, if you've been to one before. Usually it's a fairly large gathering, and there are all kinds of uh, cars or floats or bands or people there, and, and there's someone guiding it, trying to get them in a certain row and certain timing, get them to going. It's pretty entailed. That person's got a big job. Then when you get on the parade route, of course, it's just an easy flow if they can keep it moving along, and that's exciting. In fact, maybe you've been on those floats and you wave at people. You're always looking for someone you know, and you enjoy just being out there. It's just a a great attitude in time. And then there comes the ending area. That's where when you get there, hopefully whatever you're riding in, if it had to be moved, is there, and you're off and gone. You may be back in the crowd. You may be enjoying whatever the rest of that event is. I, I look at the story today almost like a parade. Uh, the preparation time with disciples getting there for Jesus, and then they end up being, the staging area is where they begin, and, and when they come out, the, uh, the songs begin to come out, the praises and the palms and the, and the garments being laid in Jesus' path, and it was, it was a parade. And you have a festive environment of the holidays there going on in Jerusalem. You can see how people get caught up in that. That's what it was like. But then you get to the end of parade, and where does it drop off? But right to the door of the temple, and Jesus walks in. It would have been the uh, court of the Gentiles, the only place where everyone could come. And in there, he finds a small marketplace. Now, first of all, you have to know that the sale of animals was a essential part of the temple because those were the sacrifices. It had to be somewhere near, and it was quite a business. Only here what you have is that business has been moved inside the temple itself. What happens is that the temple leaders have given uh, rights to that spot, sort of sold it, and people can come and get it the very closest to the actual sacrifice area, and probably they say some of the best. I I think it like this. It's sort of like going to the movies. You ever done that? And you're in there, and they say, don't you want some popcorn and some uh, drinks? And you say, of course I do. Well, it's going to cost you, you know. Get that? So they had this inside the temple. They could charge what they wanted because they had you in there now, and their animals were the best, and it was a racket. And Jesus came in, and he lost his cool. Could you imagine that? I mean, we're so used to Jesus being gentle, meek, and mild. To find him angry about something seems so out of place until you find out what it's about. 
He says, this is a place of prayer, my father's house. It's not for what you do in you, den of thieves. And, of course, he turns over everything. Now, I don't suppose that marketplace was gone long. They may have set the tables back up a few minutes after his departure and continued as, a, as though nothing ever happened. But it makes mention here. He's saying he had a love for God's house and people who come to it to worship. He had no tolerance for those who would use it for something else, simply for their own gain. So mind that among the people God is trying to reach are those who need to be in God's care. It appears that Jesus lost control at that moment, but I think instead he is restoring control to a setting where something dear has been lost. He's saying that people who come here with God on their heart, they come with needs and they need help and you come only to make money. And he saw how worship was being hurt. Another way to look at the setting is this. Uh, Jesus entered in Jerusalem, well aware of what the next week or so was going to be in his life. He knew when he uh, would encounter the big forces of power there, there are two of them. One is the uh, leadership of the temple. That was a major source of power and authority in that culture. He knew when he came in and took them on, which he did, that would be one of the groups that would spearhead his crucifixion. The other would be the Roman soldiers. That would come later. But Jesus never backed down. He knew that God had a plan. He would not give way to anything else. He was there for God's purpose. Above all things, Jesus says, I've come to do the will of my Father. I love our compliment class. We've been having a, a good time the past three and a half months. And uh, this past week, I enjoyed meeting with each of them one at a time. Uh, they knew from the start that was going to happen. And uh, we prepped them for it. Uh, even told them the questions I was going to answer. You know, a teacher does that. You know that? They tell you, you've got a test later. These are the questions. These are the answers. You know that? I had one question in particular. I asked them. And I tried it on the 9 o'clock class. And let's see at 9 o'clock hour. That's... Y'all can't answer it, by the way. Front row has to be quiet on this question because you know the answer. Everybody else has to see if you can figure it out. Do you know the three general rules of the church? You thinking about it for a minute? Could somebody name one general rule of the church? No order to it, just one of them? Do no harm. Thank you, that's one of the general rules. Anybody know what the, another general rule of the church? I'm sorry? Nope. Somebody else? There's simple rules. Do good is the second rule. One additional rule is a little more technical in the way it's written. Uh, it goes like this, to attend to the ordinances of the church. Another way of describing that, it means to stay in love with God, which is to say you continue doing the things, worship, prayer, Bible study, service, gathering in the fellowship of the saints, of God's people, that God enjoys. That pleases God. If you want to stay in love with God, do the things that God loves. You do those things, and your love for God stays fresh. They learned that. They, every one of them knew the answer to that question. They even knew what order it went in. Pretty good on that too, isn't it? But what I enjoyed most of all is in the conversation with them, hearing more than just, a, I asked the question, you know, what did you enjoy best? And everyone had their particular event or activity and they gave me those answers. But then some of them went on to say to me how much they felt God loved them and how they were excited to be a part of this moment and God was in their life. And to me, it was worth every minute of all the energy that we put out in three and a half months. 
to know that, isn't it? Because we, as a community of faith, care for each other. We lead each other, not just into it, but along in it, and help each other to grow. Jesus knew that we would need a lot of strength to face what God has in store for us, even as he does, our example. I use this analogy of what a bridge is built to withstand, and we're not bridges, but it helps us. A bridge is built to stand three different burdens or loads to carry. First, it must carry the load of its own weight. You know, tons of steel or wood or concrete, whatever it's made up of, built on a certain sure foundation, that's what it has to hold. You and I are people who have to deal with our own heart and mind and spirit. When God comes into our life, that's part of what we bring to that service to Him. And we're built in a way... That part of us needs God. When that is soundly given to him, then we can begin to carry the other loads that God has for us. A bridge also carries the weight of the traffic that crosses over it. Because most of the time that's cars. Sometimes it might be a, a trestle for trains. But it carries an immense amount of weight. It is there for that purpose. You and, you and I need to know that we're not here just for ourselves. We're here as God has made us for reason. And that load to carry is one he equips us to carry also. We need to be readied. Our spiritual growth needs to take place. Our compromands are just beginning their journey. You may have been on it for a long time. And we're gaining strength that we may carry the load of the ministry to which God calls us individually and together. And then the last load that a bridge has to carry is that of the weather, which may be wind or rain or temperatures or even bigger storms that would come against it and withstand those things. And you and I face the temptations and trials of life as well as carrying those other needs, and God strengthens us for it all. And Jesus kept his because he never would give up the greatest direction in his life. He always knew that he was there because He loved God, and his purpose was to do the will of his Father who was in heaven. Jesus was no pushover. When he found something wrong going on, as he did in the temple that day, he would not back down or turn away. Instead, he took on that which was damaging others. Jesus cared too much to be quiet. The church today knows it has ministries. Sometimes we call them justice of helping those in times of troubles, it becomes our business as a caring people also. You do not want the worship of God weakened by the experience people had for coming into that temple. Nobody wanted for us when we come to church. He wants us to come with our hands and our hearts open to what God wants to do. Jesus could have called down a legion of angels anytime he wanted to give him help. He could have probably called down plagues to disarm his adversaries as God did for those enemies of Israel at one point. He could have uh, called uh, others to arms to overthrow the Romans, but that was not his tempt, nor his mission. His mission had far to do with the heart and the life of people around him. We may use the word integrity to describe Jesus. We call that a a well-grounded state of wholeness, undivided. That's one way of describing what what moral, what integrity is. It's our knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for us. And we can live in that no matter what's coming. I saw a cartoon the other day. It was a comic strip. 
and I, I always like to, to see them. Sometimes they have something kind of worth reading about. This one was of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. Everybody knows the story, don't you? This was, this was the cartoon. It had the three little pigs holed up in the brick house. Okay, that's pretty good, right? We know what that means. The other two are gone. They all made it safe to the brick house. And the outside is the big bad wolf. But this time, the big bad wolf is sitting in a crane. And the captions say, no more huffing and puffing. He's ready to put it on them with something bigger and more difficult for them. I suppose it's true that life is not as simple as building a safe house. Jesus didn't invent the church just so we'd have one safe place to be in the world. Instead, he invented the church so we gain strength and power to help make the world a safe place, to care with compassion for our community around us, to leave our eyes open to the needs of others, to know that that is our business as well as it is the what God is doing for us. He has a great look in our hearts and we shared some along with a confirmation that in this journey of the Christian faith, uh, it has a, a beginning point. And I know for many of them, they have been in church a lot of their life. And for that, I don't suppose that they haven't known Christ before this day. I think when you stand and make that declaration to your faith, that is a great transformation time where you take ownership into it. You say, I belong and, and I'm going to grow in this myself. I'm going to be a part of that. We know that that journey we who have lived in it for a while or into it know that it's not always easy. We don't always do it right. But we know that God continues to have a forgiving spirit. He's always winning us again. It was Peter who denied Jesus. And yet Jesus, knowing that was going to happen, even before Peter did it, said, I'm praying for you. And that must have helped Peter come back from that devastating defeat at his own lips. He's the one who denied Jesus. But Jesus could bring him back into the very leadership of his church in the future. He could take one like Saul of Tarsus, one who hated the Christian faith and saw to having many Christians imprisoned or killed, and Jesus could reach into that man's heart and bring him back. If he can bring back a Saul, he can bring us, reminding us of how great God's grace is. You know, as a parent, I'm sure you're like me. I pray for my children daily, and they're all grown. I mean, I say children, all my adult kids, okay, and my grandchildren. That's just part of life. They're in my prayers every day, and and I know something about generally what's happening, you know, right around them in time and activities, and we'll be praying about those. But the one thing I I pray most of all, I I don't pray that life's going to be easy for them. I never have really offered that prayer. What I do pray is that God will fill it with all the meaning he ever wanted it to have. That his will and work in their life is what will happen. That's not always an easy prayer because you'll see your children go through struggles. And in that sense, you go through it with them because you love them that much. But so does God. And his work is a marvelous work you and I are called to be a part of. He loves us that much. He doesn't turn away from us, but he turns toward us, teaching us about his spirit, and we can be like him. I'm proud of our confirmation class. I'm thankful that they have stepped into the faith that you and I stepped into earlier. 
in just a few minutes and we're into the service, they're going to come back up front. I want you to come hug their necks, okay, and welcome them into the church. You do that and remind them that they help you too. Their faith helps your faith. And we learn to pass that on, not only to our children, but to our community, because we learn to love them the way Jesus did. Would you pray with me? Now, Father, we come looking for many things in life. Often it takes the form of asking you to solve a problem. And so often our problems in your way of seeing are the smallest ones. Even though to us they seem immediate and needing immediate attention, you have a bigger plan in mind. Help us, Lord, to open our eyes and hearts to what you are doing, to surrender in a way, Lord, that you can use us to be a part of a faith that we see witnessed in Jesus, knowing that there is a work to be done by your hands. In Christ we pray. Amen.